I like beer. It makes me a jolly good fellow. I like beer. It helps me unwind, and sometimes it makes me feel mellow. Makes him feel mellow. Welcome to I Like Beer, the podcast, where we discuss great beers and the stories that go with them. I'm your host, Jeff. And I'm your host, Jeff. And with us this evening, we've got the good doctor. Aloha. Sound guy, Tom. Check one, two, check one, two. And I think producer Joe never made it back from recess. So I'm not really sure where he is. Uh, so hopefully we'll we'll see him one of these weeks coming up. Doors open. Yeah. We want him back. Yeah. I did get beers delivered to the house thanks to Joe. So he's doing his job. No, Joe, he's been busy on the beer delivery side of it. We just need to get him in here one of these evenings now. So. Hey, we're friends who love good beer and telling stories, so we turned it into a podcast. Uh, that's, be straight, this is an all-American, yet internationally acclaimed, red, white, and brew, through and through podcast. That's right. <laughs> Nicely done. I think that's our mantra. That's our new mantra right now. <laughs> I like it. I like yeah, it. Red, yeah. white, and brew. Yeah. Especially true tonight, because we're celebrating Veterans Day. Thank you to all the veterans out there, as well as our active duty men and women. Yeah, thank you. Yes, and also a big thank you to their families as well. As we were reminded last year by our Veterans Day guest, Colonel Cliff Myers, U.S. Marine Corps retired, the families of our service members also serve as well. So thank you, families. Yeah, well said. Salute to all of you. And we are school teachers by day, beer enthusiasts by evening, lucky enough to live in North County, San Diego, beer mecca within a beer mecca. Sunny and Balmy all year long, water's warm, beer's cold, and there are stories to be told. So again, welcome, pour yourself a beer, pull up a bar stool, and join us for this very special Veterans Day edition of I Like Beer, the podcast. And as always, please uh, find and follow us on social media uh, at I Like Beer, the podcast on Instagram and Facebook. I Like Beer, the Poe one, and I Like Beer, the Ta one on Twitter. And make sure you check out the, our website, which is ilikebeerthepodcast.com to learn more about us. Yep. Joe would tell us, he would be reminding us to tell you to follow, subscribe, like, comment, download, all those things that help spread the word about our little podcast. And we reached uh, 400 followers on Twitter, finally. Oh, that took cool. a while. But we can't quite pass over the edge to the 1500 on Instagram. We've been real close for about three weeks now. So it's coming. If you're listening to us and you're on Instagram and you're not following us, hey, give us a little help, will you? That's true. And make sure you sign up for our, our uh, newsletter. First one was fantastic. So looking forward to the next one. So, And then also make sure you uh, uh, virtually toast us on Untapped. Again, we're pretty easy to find there. Uh, look for any of us under the I Like Beer, the podcast, and then whatever our names are there. So, All right, boys, what are we drinking? Oh, great question, Doc. Thank you. Legacy Brewing, Oceanside, California. It's their American Pills. Pours with a golden hue and a nice, firm, foamy head. And tastes to me like what you think. If you're if you're feeling nostalgic and you're at a barbecue or you're at the beach and someone reaches into their cooler and gives you a Budweiser or a Coors or a, a Hams, it's what you think at their best what those will taste like. But right. then they don't. Yeah, they never do. No, this is a, a, a Pilsner with flavor, I would say. That's what I would call it. <laughs> Absolutely. No, it doesn't have any of that hop bitterness at the end, so it's not like the uh, hopped up Pilsner versions that you get. It's a true American Pilsner, but it doesn't have that sweetness that the macro beers work true. in there. Yeah. 
No, it's very good. I would like we've talked about before. This is a porch pounder. You could you could drink a bunch of these. Uh, super tasty. I feel like we should be sitting on a beach as we're drinking this. So I know as we're heading into it's actually got cold enough. Where I, I think I wore socks today for the first time in a long time. It's not the kind of beer I'd probably reach for right now. But since we're Veterans Day, this is a great beer for us today. Of course, Legacy Brewing is right there in Oceanside, California, home of Camp Pendleton. And while they're picking up the beers, I had a chance to meet Mark Merrickley, the founder, owner, and Andrew Bear, marketing director. And they gave me a rundown of their IPA list, sent me home with a pale ale and a nut brown. So ILB uh, team, first one to come visit me, gets to share a crowler of one of those two with me. Of course, it's a brewery we, a brewery we visited a few times, Talent. Yes, we have, and we had some pretty good trips there. A lot of times we go, we go do that the bike ride, and then we finish up there. Um, but it, they've got some great beers, uh, it, and one of my favorites, uh, the the strawberry blonde ale that they put out. That's on one of those. Uh, that's on my top ten list there. So uh, uh, I I really enjoy Legacy, and if you haven't checked them out, uh, they actually have uh, multiple venues now. But uh, uh, the Oceanside one's a pretty cool spot to visit. Yeah, that one was it was a motorcycle shop, and it was headquarters for a Transworld skate magazine so they built those legacies into their brewery so they still have some homage to to those things and a lot of usmc memorabilia as well so we're going to return they invite us to come back and talk ipas with them and we will do that right down the road here yeah can't wait now we have a special as we always do on veterans day we have a special guest veteran tonight as well dr todd would you do the honors of introducing our guest I would be happy to. I'd like to introduce you guys, the coolest vet you've never met. (laughs) (laughs) And that would be Mr. John Manley. Welcome, John. Hi. Thanks for having me. Welcome. Yeah. So, John, tell us about your military service. When, where, what branch? Well, I was back in the day. I was in the Coast Guard from 1961 to 65. Spent most of my time right here in the pleasant state of California, up in the San Francisco Bay Area, in the '60s. And so, uh, actually, we're gonna we're gonna do an in-depth interview with you later. But tell us, uh, most importantly, what are you drinking right now? Well, I have a Shinerbach going. Oh, love Shinerbach! Nice, nice. Excellent. All right. Well, cheers. That's a good call. Cheers. cheers Thanks for coming welcome on aboard. Yeah, yeah welcome my aboard. pleasure. Cheers. So, Mr. Manley and the rest of the ILB team. Did I start early tonight? I don't think I did. No, I think you're good. All right. We all got a beverage in hand. It's time for toast, roast, and pour one out. All right, Talon, I see that you have a couple toasts here. So let me get a quick one in first before I Sounds good. No yeah. follow you on TRP. <laughs> so I just want to give a quick toast to author and veteran N.B. Hankus for joining us for our first ever ILB The Book Talk to be released soon. We recorded it. We had a great talk with the author about his book, Waking Up on the Appalachian Trail. Details coming soon. Yeah, that's a good read. If you haven't read it, find it, pick it up, and, and give it a read. It was a real interesting book to read. And then so. listen to our book talk with him. 
Exactly. There you and go. And Ryan Wolt, uh, author and friend of the show, joined us for that book talk. Yeah, yeah. So we're finding out that we're, we're meeting a lot of authors, which is kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, totally. Us, I think that's yeah. <laughs> I think we're elevating our status a little. We bit got the in best the world. book actually, club ever because we don't have yeah. a meeting unless the author shows up. And the author shows up and discusses the book with us. We're reading yeah. pictures of beer right now about the uh, Rainier baseball team in Seattle. So yeah, uh, we got to get a hold of Dan Rayleigh and get him on the show. Yeah, very cool. All right, that's it. I want to give a quick toast to NB Hankus. Thanks for joining right. us, Nate. Yeah, thank you. So my toast, I got a, a couple of toasts here. They, they're going to be a little longer because uh, toasting a couple of veterans uh, and their stories and just some in, impressive human beings and, and impressive Americans and, and veterans. Uh, so the first one, he is, uh, his name is T. Fred Harvey, and he was a World War II veteran. He's 97 years old, and he received the uh, Silver Star uh, during the Battle of Iwo Jima. And he's actually right now looking to become the oldest Marine to participate in the Marine Corps Marathon. So think about that. 97, Silver Star, and he's going to participate in the uh, marathon. Um, And so he's got a small team of marathoners, and he's going to try and cross that finish line uh, in his wheelchair. uh, And it'll be four days shy of his 97th birthday when he finally completes that. So just a little background on him. He was a paramarine. And uh, his job was handling demolitions with the 5th Marine Division during as they were island hopping. And they eventually landed uh, on the Japanese island of Yojima in February of 1945. Basically, despite heavy bombardment by American forces to soften that island for the invasion, him and his fe- uh, Harvey and his fellow Marines had to contend with 21,000 Japanese soldiers who were hidden in a network of underground tunnels. So you can only imagine. I think we've seen that in some of the movies and everything else. I don't think anything can, can represent truly probably what was that what it was like. He was injured uh, by two grenades on the island and received a silver star for saving the life of a fellow Marine. So huge toast to him and a thanks to him for, for all of his service and continuing to be uh, a stud at 97 years no old kidding. As, he's, as he's running marathons. That's pretty, pretty cool. All right. Toast to uh, Mr. Harvey. Yeah. So on the second one, I'm going to switch, switch armed forces here. And I'm going to talk about uh, retired air force Colonel Gail S. Halverson. And uh, I'm going to basically say after reading this story, I don't know how they have not made a movie about this guy's life because it is so impressive. He basically changed the course of history with two pieces of gum. And I'll get to that story in a second. But he just turned 100 years old this month. So another of, of uh, the greatest generation there. Uh, he has been known or his, his name is his nickname is the Candy Bomber. And then also the children of Berlin called him Uncle Wiggly Wings. So I'll get to why they call him that in a second. <laughs> and here's here's his story a little bit. So he joined the Air Force in 1942, and he served in the South Atlantic Theater there uh, during the war, and he was flying planes for the Foreign Transport Service. But what he's really known for is what he did after the war, because basically in, in Europe at the time, obviously a lot of devastation, uh, and, and especially in Germany, and there were divided philosophies on how you, you handle Germany, and particularly in Berlin, and how their people should be handled. And so the Soviets at the time set up a blockade and they basically cut off ground travel into Berlin. And so in a response to that, the, the U.S. And, and their allies began a massive airlift of food and water and medicine to the, the, the citizens of Berlin, because that was the only way you could get stuff. And basically, the, the Soviets were starving them out. So they organized this thing called Operation Vittles, and it was organized by uh, General William H. Tunner, who was the commander of the airlift task force. And Halverson uh, was reassigned there to help fly missions into uh, what is now known as the Berlin Airlift. And so they had a written agreement that they could 
air travel into what was what's called Tempelhof Airfield, but they could not get in through ground areas. So they would fill cargo planes with tons of flour and dried milk and eggs and all that other kind of stuff. It says here they were landing like every 13 minutes to help the nearly 2 million starving Germans. And, and this went on from, you know, mid-1948 to, uh, you know, mid-1949, give or take. And so one of the days Halverson, uh, in between him, one of his flights, he saw 30 children kind of ho- holding on the fence, watching this. The planes were landing and, and unloading and taking off again. And so while his plane was being loaded, he walked over to the children and he spoke to them. He said, you know, some of them spoke kind of broken English and stuff like that. So he wanted to give them something, but all he had in his pocket were two pieces of gum. So he broke those in half and he gave them to these 30 kids and said, hey, share these. And so those kids, <laughs> those, but, but, but here's the cool part. Sorry, those kids took those pieces and broke them up into smaller and smaller and smaller pieces so that each kid basically had a little piece or those that didn't even have pieces just were able to take the, the wrapper of that gum and smell the mint flavor. So again, think about how, where you are in a condition where that's, wow. that's enough. So uh, Halverson, upon seeing that, says, hey, I was astounded. He says, I wanted to do more. Um, so he, t- he promised those kids, he says, Next time, I'm going to drop chocolate bars out of my airplane on little parachutes the next time I fly into this uh, into Tempelhof. And the kids promised him, hey, we'll share it. Basically, because of that, uh, those two sticks of gum eventually evolved into 23 tons of chocolate and, and other treats that they were able to, to give to these kids uh, in Berlin. And so uh, a lot of companies jumped on board, you know, all of his friends, all that kind of stuff. So it's a, it's a pretty in- incredible story. Where he got his nickname was is because with so many planes in the air, uh, children were afraid to, that they would miss him. So he told them, hey, I'll wiggle my wings uh, so you'll know it's me coming when I, when I come in with my chocolate. So that's how he became known as Captain nice. Wiggle Wings. So so that was really cool. And and um, I think the thing that uh, was interesting, too, here is that Halverson really didn't have clearance to do his, his this operation. But when he got called in to see the commanding officer and, and uh, kind of explain what he was doing, he was told, hey, you're doing a great job. Keep doing it. So that was kind of a cool thing as nice. well. Uh, he said, you know, Basically, candy companies at home started donating. Groups back home sent handkerchiefs and string for the hank ha- uh, for the um, parachutes and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, it's really interesting because, really, to this day, now many of those children who are old themselves, he still receives letters from those people. Oh, wow. and he's still he's still re- re- revered in Berlin. In fact, there's a the baseball field there that they actually uh, that's like they named it in, in honor of him. It's called the Gail S. Halverson Park, which is home of the Berlin Braves, to honor him. Um, and stuff. And, he, and I guess he took that and what, you know, post World War II, uh, he continued and he's made hundreds of candy drops all over the world. Actually, he did these in places like Bosnia, Herzegovina, Albania, Japan, Guam, and just kind of trying to take that, that, that sweet message around to people and, and, and share that, you know, and his, his big thing is just trying to help kids out and everything else. And so I saw that story. And like I said, I, I thought it was truly incredible. So a huge toast to him on Veterans Day as he turns 100 years old this year. And uh, I think the world could use more people like him. So that those are my two toasts. Toast. Toast. That fantastic. Toast. Cheers. Yeah. 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 I'd heard that story a long time ago. I didn't, not directly for that gentleman, but the story of, op, of that whole operation and the airdrops and just an incredible story. Yeah. Heartwarming. Well, you did, you did your homework. So that usually means you've really lined us up something nice for roasts. So I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> yes, I got a good one for roast too. Honestly, to me, this, this is you want to talk about a real life Rambo. This guy is a real life, like, like larger than life human being. So kind of first, this off is just a, is a toast, I think, to this man, and then I'll get to the roast part of it in a second. So just to give you a little bit of a background of this, in, this gentleman, he's uh, was Marine Second Lieutenant Jim Capers. And uh, he served uh, in uh, Vietnam 
And so here's kind of the background of where, where, like I said, you read this story and it's just incredible. But so in March of 1967, he goes out on a four-day foot patrol in Vietnam. He was recently had a battlefield commission raising him to the rank of second lieutenant. And he was leading just nine third, they were third force reconnaissance company Marines. And they had also had a dog named King. And so their mission was to cut through enemy territory and locate a suspected North Vietnamese base camp. And they were supposed to, and this camp was supposed to have a force of about 1500 enemy soldiers. And their job was really to head up in there and just gather Intel. And then uh, they weren't to, to engage, but they were to gather Intel on this base. And so Obviously, as things tend to go, first day of that four-day march, they bump into a 20-soldier force and engage in it with a 20-soldier force uh, there on the first day. And then on the second day, they have uh, two more contacts with the enemies and said it resulted in 22 enemies killed in action. Uh, but also, he had one of his Marines was severely wounded. And you know, they said a lot of people, this might have sent that team back home, but Capers decides, hey, we're going to go back. We're going to continue to, to to go after this enemy. So he starts, he calls in fire on their base camp. And that really kind of thwarted a, an attack that was going to come on his, the camp that he was based out of. Um, and so on that final day of this four-day thing, there was a um, an enemy kind of daisy-changed Claymore mine that triggers an attack on his team. And he sustained multiple wounds from both the explosion. And then there was huge barrages of direct and indirect enemy fire. So th- this is the part that's just incredible to me. So he's bleeding profusely and he's moving on two broken legs so he shakes off the shock of all this continues fighting and directing his men in a counterattack. and they said even he was even taking on morphine as he's coordinating this supporting fire and trying to get his team to a helicopter extraction that would save their lives and the way the, the there's an award citation it reads it says well struggling to maintain consciousness and still in attack major capers demanded continuous situation and status reports from his marines and ensured the entire team was evacuated before himself he said barely able to stand he finally boarded the helicopter and was evacuated and they added some information. They kind of said what the citation didn't stay is that at least two times he got off the helicopter because it was loaded down too heavy and it wasn't going to be able to take off. And he's like, no, no, my men need to get out of here first. <laughs> I mean, this is a guy that's been shot up, explosions, two broken legs. Finally, it, it went airborne. Apparently, it later crash landed. But all of the Marines did survive uh, and he got them out of there. So truly an incredible uh, story, that part. So that part's all the toast. I mean, you talk about a larger than life human being. Yeah, where's the roast? Here's the roast. Now, here comes the roast. So we talked about that award citation. So the award citation was written up uh, for a Silver Star Medal, uh, which obviously he definitely deserved that. But here's the roast part of it. He didn't receive that Silver Star Medal citation until 2010, uh, which was 43 years after the actions uh, that happened and occurred. OK, and they said ultimately he would receive two Bronze Star Medals. Uh, and three Purple Hearts. And he's actually one of the most decorated Marines in force reconnaissance history. And you may ask yourself, well, why why did it take so long? What's going on? And 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 really, the main reason it kept coming back to is that he's black. Um, oh. And so, uh, and yeah. There's that it, part yeah, of America, isn't there? There is that part of it. Yes. So, uh, so basically, what's happened now is that many people, well, actually, even at the time, it said many people that the Silver Star didn't begin to recognize the deeds that he, he, you know, did that day or accomplished that day. And so he actually was, uh, when he was in the hospital there, he said the assistant to the third Marine division commanding general said he was actually being put in for the medal of honor. And he said at least two other battalion commanders wrote recommendations for him for that medal. 
But according to Capers, he said they never went forward. And he does believe race played a role in the lack of submission for that award. And he was actually kind of told through back channels that one commander in that authorization chain for the medal said he would die and go to hell before he saw Capers get the Medal of Honor. So that's really where the roast comes There's your roast. There we have it. Back on the positive side, uh, obviously maybe a little too little too late, but there's a, a group called the United American Patriots that is actually leading efforts to get another review of the actions and get his citation upgraded to a Medal of Honor. Yay. So that's going on right now. And according to the gentleman that's in charge of that said that every Marine he's talked to said this guy was just exemplifies everything there is about being a Marine. Couldn't find anybody to say a bad thing about it. And really, there's just this push now to make sure he gets uh, the credit that he is due. And I will tell you guys, this is I condensed this so far down even just to get to this about right here. If you read his exploits and you can you can find his stuff, there's actually a, a documentary about him called uh, and he has a memoir called Faith Through the Storm. I mean, it reads like a Hollywood script. I mean, it, the stuff this guy went through, the stuff this guy's done is is absolutely incredible. But that one mission is probably the one that that should give him his due. And that's a that's a medal of honor. So total toast to him. Roast till they rectify that. And, and uh, it, like I said, do some research. Look him up. Retired Major James Capers Jr. He's uh, a, an incredible story. And so uh, there, that's my my roast there. I'll, I'll toast that roast. There you go. Thank <laughs> you. I yeah, appreciate that. that. It's a toast <laughs> they, they have given out over 3,500 of them. So it's not like one of those things where they say, well, there's only 10 in history. You've really got to go through this, you know. Yeah. But I did do the research though, and out of those uh, 3,500 or 30, it says a little more than 3,400 medals of honor, only 89 have gone to black service members. Oh, so me. uh, there is that part of it as well. So well, it's going to be a movie soon starring Tom Cruise. Uh, it, it, it should, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it probably will be. And I'm sure Tom Hanks will have a role in there as one yeah, of the commanding yeah. generals to, <laughs> to help find his brothers and get them all home safe. So, or something like that. Maybe that movie's already been made. I don't know. So. Thank you, Talent. You're welcome. And we're moving over to pour one out. And Tom, I see you're on our list here. Should I get mine over with first or you want to go first? No, you, okay. you go first. You can go first. <laughs> another oh, that means I, it's hard I, to I, follow. I open another beer? Because I've just got a, I got one. I'm just pouring one out for swimming. It is the end of, you know, summer's over anyway. But I got pour one out for swimming. And, and Doc, I might need you to... Uh, chime in on this and mr manley from your time in the coast guard you might know a little bit about this but i'm pouring one out for swimming at least coastal beach swimming in florida as they've been finding four foot wide jellyfish Ooh. washing up on shore all across the coast 70 foot tentacles whoa four feet wide peak oh. pink oh. meanies type of moon jellyfish and they grow to a monstrous size under the full florida moons they're deadly dangerous <laughs> they can kill swimmers just by looking at them uh they engulf no. small boats yeah. they no, families true. of vacationers yeah <laughs> just true doc dangerous stuff no moon jellies are not dangerous sorry florida sounds like a lovely place to visit <laughs> mr manley did any of these ever come up on the ship and take a postman down only after about six beers <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying is we have a few more to go <laughs> indeed so not that dangerous doc no no moon jellies are typically not dangerous but you know the old saying where there are pink meanies bull sharks follow yeah that's yeah. true no probably feed on them yeah this is a family show let's not talk about pink meanies <laughs> just yeah that's a good point 
Tom, you're up for pour one out. Yeah, and I kind of struggled because I, I was thinking part of this is really a toast, but at the end of the day, it's really a pour one out. A uh, week before last, I had the opportunity one last time to go down to San Diego Stadium, a.k.a. Jack Murphy Stadium, a.k.a. Qualcomm, the Q, a.k.a. San Diego County Credit Union Stadium. Uh, and like I said, I had a chance to walk through there one last time. And all the memories just come flooding back. You know, when I was a kid, my parents had season tickets to the Chargers and, you know, Air Coriel days. And I got to pick one game a year, as did my siblings. And we'd go down and see the Chargers play through some awesome years there with Fouts and Winslow, Joyner, Jefferson, and of, of course, Air Coriel himself. Oh, wait, they had season tickets, but you only got to go to one game? Yeah, that's right. Well, yeah, well, there was four of us, so you figure each one of us got to go to one, and then my mom got to go to four. So I think mom got to go; should have gone to four. Dad got to go to all eight, though. <laughs> but anyway, uh, you know, some of the memories that I had uh, besides the Chargers, you know, a couple of Aztec games in particular, I got the opportunity to see Marshall Falk play USC in what was an incredible game that turned out to be a tie because of not one, not two, but five missed Andy field Trackus. goals, including Andy Trackus. Yeah. Yeah. We, <laughs> yeah, got, we were, we were there at yeah, the same time. We were there. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. And, and well, but do you remember that there was three field goals missed in the last oh, yeah. 75 yep. seconds yep. or so? Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for peeling that bandaid off, Tom. Thought I'd put that behind me. Well, the, the highlight, the silver lining that day gone. was obviously uh Marshall Falk. That was the highlight that entire yeah. year. Yeah. Exactly. He was cheated out of the Heisman, if you ask me. Yes. Gino Toretta. Who's Gino Toretta? Exactly. Right. So makes pizza. Right. <laughs> right. Papa John's. <laughs> and then later on, you know, obviously, you know, some some Padres playoffs, World Series games, Super Bowls, all those things, holiday bowl games. So it it obviously brought back a lot of just great memories and some sad ones, obviously, as you guys said. But I had a chance to look through and a couple articles had five or six of the top moments in the stadium's history. And I think this will bring back some uh, happy moments as well as some uh, sad and heart-wrenching moments. Uh, one of them is the Holy Roller, yeah. uh, which resulted in a rule change the following year. You guys remember the Miracle Bowl, the 1980 Holiday Bowl, Jim McMahon and the Miracle Comeback there. The other one was the quarter, Doug Williams in Super Bowl 22, five touchdowns, 35 points in the second quarter. Charger playoff games, uh, mainly the one against Miami in 1994 where they came back and won. And oh, by the way, Miami missed a field goal in the closing moments. And then, of course, uh, the Cub Busters. And, but the greatest memory probably of all time is, and we heard it the other night when we did the baseball one, there will be tomorrow, Garvey's home run. So some great memories, some great moments, some sad moments, but it's time to say goodbye to the stadium. So let's raise a toast to the stadium, to the memories, and here's to the future. I don't know. Why aren't any of the soccer games on there? Back in the NASL days, Julie there were some v. great soccer games I used to go to. When it, yeah, Julie V and all of them. I went to a soccer bowl there, uh, which was you, the, you, 
It was phenomenal. You would, think, you would think, you know, I went to a lot of soccer games there too. Yeah. Went to a couple of nationals games too. Yeah. The most, uh, but they weren't talked about at all. <laughs> the most decorated team in San Diego sports history is going to be the soccers. I think the goals might be number two. <laughs> right. Which says a lot about our sports yeah, scene right. here in San Diego. <laughs> and the soccers are still going, too. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Toast, Roast, and Pour One Out. I had to tie that one up because two reasons. One, I can tell Doc needs another beer. Oh, yes. yeah. And we could have talked yes. about that forever. <laughs> that, that's, it's not, yeah, right. And uh, and I don't want to have to go back into therapy for all of those. I finally worked yeah. through a lot of that. So so we'll get another beer and we'll let Doc and Mr. Manley take over for a little while. But beer number two, uh, with the Coast Guard in mind, I did my best matchup I could there. Coronado Salty Crew Boat Beer. There you go. You know, it's funny. I forget how good this beer is until every time I have it. This honestly is, if you want just a good, easy drinking, clean, just great tasting beer, this is one of the most phenomenal beers that there mm-hmm. is out there from, from that. If you just want something that fills that light and refreshing, no aftertaste, it's just, it's a good beer. And we don't have to give extensive notes because all you have to do, listeners, is go to our Coronado Brewing episode and owner Rick Chapman and head brewer uh, Mark Tyson gave us full notes on it. So they talked about the whole process of coming up with this beer. Yeah. So, so I say a great beer and I thought I had just enough tie to the uh, Coast Guard and to Mr. Manley. So now it's time, Doc, if you'd take over for us to get to know Mr. Manley. All right. Let's get to know Mr. Manley. First of all, Galeno, Mr. Manley, by the way, is my father-in-law. So we're going to be kind to Mr. Manley here tonight. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so that's not necessary. Play it like it really is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, hey, you told us uh, Coast Guard in the 60s. That sounds dangerous. Yeah. San Francisco in the 60s. Tell us about that. Well, you know, the 60s was pretty, <laughs> was an eye-opening era for everybody. <laughs> uh, you know, the, all kinds of things were happening. The, you know, jazz was great. Sinatra was great. Things were going on in this world that... Um, Everybody remembers where they were when John F. Kennedy was killed. I remember where I was. Yeah. I was coming out for lunch at uh, U.S. Coast Guard headquarters in downtown San Francisco when the news hit the wire that he had been assassinated. It's one of the saddest days of my life. Yeah. But it was really quite a time. It was uh, the Hungry Eye was quite a place there. I'll tell you, one day I and a couple of buddies went into the Hungry Eye, which is a popular music place there. And uh, just as I was getting to the double, big double doors, the door swung open wide and almost hit me in the face. And I was looking directly at a belt buckle. As I slowly looked up, it was Wilt Chamberlain looking oh, down wow. at me. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, you know, there was all kinds of personalities running around San Francisco at that time. There was whiny Richard Nixon kind of. Uh, after he lost his election, I ran into him and in, uh, on the street in uh, Chinatown one evening, and uh, or he almost ran into me almost. But uh, <laughs> by and large, it was probably the best four years of my life. One of the best because I met my wife. We got married and started a wonderful life from there. Yeah, nice. That's awesome. So what what are some uh, what are some interesting you know stories from 
actually in the service, not just not just in San Francisco, but what are some interesting things we should know about life in the Coast Guard in the 60s? Well, back in those days, we were uh, under the Treasury Department, and uh, today we're under a whole different um, set of rules. Uh, Coast Guard is actually, to give you a little background real quickly, is uh, one of the oldest services going, and it predates the Air Force. It actually even predates the Navy because it actually started out originally as the Revenue Cutter Service, which was then uh, supplanted by uh, finally a, an official U.S. Navy, and uh, the Coast Guard became a, a part of the what was left of the Cutter Service. And in those days, uh, things were a, a, a lot different uh, from uh, this prospect of technology versus today, but uh, uh, we had long-range navigational stations all over the world. We had, uh, of course, icebreakers going on up in the uh, Pacific Northwest, that all those duty stations. A lot of people think the Coast Guard is just here local in at home and local waters, not so. You know, they're all over the world. Nice. It was a fun time. It was a, a rough boot camp, uh, kind of a funny thing in boot camp. We all got there, and, um, <laughs> of course, you know, you're in uh, a whole company of men, uh, India company, and we had this one guy, real tall, skinny guy, hated PE, hated the calisthenics, and he would do everything he could to get out of doing early morning at five o'clock in the morning calisthenics. Well, in the barracks, it was a two-story barracks, and there was a gear locker on the second deck and on the first deck, and those were right by the stairways, and on the second, we were on the first floor. And uh, it was a door that you opened up, and inside was the buffer for the floors, to, you know, and mops and brooms and stuff like that to keep the, the place clean. Well, he would try to sneak in there, and and when the rest of us would be charging down to the grinder to do our, our workout. And uh, one day, the first-class bosun mate that was in charge of our company, Oshnauer was his name, he goes in and he wants to check around. So he opens the door and there's this guy standing there yeah. at attention. And all he said to the Schnauer was, uh, going up, sir? <laughs> and Schnauer, he took a step back. He looked at it, shook his head and just closed the door. Didn't say a word. <laughs> nice. That was the funny part. But there was some, you know, there was some, uh, that was just a, a, a small segment of what's going on during training. Uh, uh, I was assigned to a couple of different duty stations. Uh, I was on the Admiral's staff in downtown San Francisco. I just mentioned to you that particular area. And uh, then I was transferred out to the air station at San Francisco International Airport. And uh, during World War II, this is where all the seaplanes would take off and on. And we still had, in those days, we still had the Grumman Albatross that was, uh, you know, a seaplane. And they would also arrive at C-130s and, of course, our uh, Sikorsky amphibious helicopters. So I was a yeoman and uh, assigned to the office staff. And not being an air crewman, I didn't do a whole lot of official flying. But I had an awful lot of time on my duty days that really nothing else to do. So I got real friendly with all the air crewmen and so forth. I would go on out on these training flights. So. I had an awful lot of experiences. I could go on forever about this, but since this is Veterans Day, 
I have one story I'd like to pass on with you and share with you. I'd like to make a toast to three gentlemen and in honor for them. Uh, unfortunately, I, at my one of my last duties in the Coast Guard was in December of 1964. In December of 1964, there was a horrible storm in Northern California that inundated the whole area with severe floods. Well, on the 22nd, we sent a helicopter up to help Air Force and Navy choppers uh, rescue people that were stranded on the tops of their roof, et cetera, uh, in different, different areas up there. Late of that day, we got word that that helicopter went in. Helicopter crashed, disappeared from the radar. So immediately there was a Air Force and investigation team set up and I was the yeoman that went along with the officers and we went up there to uh, find out what happened. The honor goes to the pilot that was Lieutenant Commander Donald Prince, Petty Officer Second Class James Nininger, good buddy of mine, and Royal Canadian Navy Sub Lieutenant Alan Altree. They were all killed. They were killed when uh, they were coming in late of an evening and the weather got very bad and the power went off at the airport. So they had no help from the ground on navigating in and they thought they were coming through it through a gap in the mountains into the airport there and instead of that they hit a scrag of an old uh, redwood a all empty scrag in the rotor uh, and they went in and wow. all three of uh, them and there were three civilians aboard as well that lost their lives that day all right so we'll toast those guys Raise a glass, boys. Raise a right. glass. So yes, yeah, so you've got some some fond memories and some some sad memories, and and so uh, thank you for your service. Thanks to all the uh, all the veterans out there for your service. One last question. So after service, we got to get back to beer since it's a beer podcast. After service, you you spent some time in Denver. So Denver in the sixties. <laughs> Yeah. Was there anything you get your hands on? I know Coors was the king, and you know, could you get your hands on anything besides Coors, or was that it? Well, my my brother-in-law Pete was an engineer for Coors, so we of course we had all the free Coors we wanted. Uh, free beer, uh, you know, okay. free, free beer tastes pretty good. Yeah, right. Yeah, but you know, we we got a, also got to taste some of the brews that weren't ne not necessarily as widespread. They had a brew they called Herman Joseph. It was a, a, a kind of a, a gourmet upper end pilsner. Then they had a uh, a couple of others. So in those days, it was pretty much uh, Coors. Uh, coming from the West Coast, uh, as a kid, there was Acme Beer in Arizona, which is that's the old uh, Olympia Brewing Company. So I knew of Oli, you know, Olympia, and of course hams that you guys mentioned earlier. But pretty much it was. For me, in those days, it was the Coors product that uh, I imbibed in. Nice. Well, <laughs> hey, thanks for sharing, John. You guys stick around because we got a we've got a vet beer or not a beer later. So, all right. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> thank you. My pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. That's fantastic. I've got a new segment, guys, and it needs a name. 
but until I think of a name, I'm going to call it, here's a story for you. I like it. So listeners, if you come up with a better, usually talent does my naming of the uh, 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 segments for us, but uh, I didn't give them much notice on this. But listeners, if, if you got a name for this after you hear it, send it in. Until then, we'll call it, I got a story for you. And I thought it fit pretty nicely with uh, Veterans Day too. So this is the story of Marine Corps veteran John Chicky Donahue and what has been called the greatest beer run ever. Nice. Okay. Greatest beer run ever, right? Bigger than Smoking the Bandit. Bigger wow. than Smoking the Bandit. That's saying a lot. I'm sensing a movie. Yeah. There's not a movie of this yet either, and there's got to be. So year is 1967. So we'll set the, set the time period. Vietnam War is heating up. Our hero for this story, John Chicky Donahue, has, had served four years in the United States Marine Corps, and he'd returned home to New York to work. He had done his service. He'd done his time. But 1967, tough year for Vietnam War, tough year in American history, really, when you start to look at it. Uh, that year, more than 11,000 American troops would die fighting. Largest airborne operation since World War II would happen. A lot of scary, sad war stuff. And at home, civil disrest, protests, all kinds of trauma, negativity, all kinds of stuff. The Kingston Trio got booed at the uh, Hungry Eye. Just all... <laughs> <laughs> All kinds of sad. Uh, well, listen to this list. 1967, Apollo 1 astronauts die in a fire. Uh, racist segregationist sworn into office as governor of Georgia, Governor Maddox. It's outed that the US, U.S. government is conducting germ warfare tests. Operations Deckhouse 5 and Cedar Falls have become these search and destroy operations that didn't make for great news uh, in Vietnam. And the Boston Stranglers all over the news. That was January of 1967. Whoa, <laughs> sounds like 2020, right? Sounds, so sounds like sounds like one of my uh, poor one out segments. Yeah, <laughs> bad time, rough time. So, and rough time for vets returning home, uh, of course, from the field. So even the Coast Guard, John, had a had a tough year in 1967. They were moved into the Department of Transportation that year to handle hazardous cargo and economic traffic and clean up oil spills. So, 1960, Donahue's back home. And for the sake of storytelling here, I just have to call him Chicky, because if that's your nickname, you got to be called Chicky. Chicky's working as a sand hog in New York. Sand hogs could have their own story in a later podcast. There's a listener out there that knows a sand hog, is a sand hog, was a sand hog. We got to have you on the show. So, do you guys know what a sand hog does? Uh, sand, no. sand hog, excuse me, sand hog does? A sand hog, is that, a, is that a hog that digs in the sand? <laughs> um. Sand hogs are miners of a sort, tunnel diggers in New okay. York City. Okay. So underneath oh. New York City, there's this massive labyrinth of all kinds of different tunnels, subways, sewer systems, steam tunnels, the foundations for bridges, uh, the freshwater aqueducts. There's an entire underworld beneath New York City, and sand hogs do that work. It's dangerous work, highly undervalued field of endeavors for sure. So back to Chicky. He's home from his four years of service working as a sand hog. He's from Inwood, which is the north part of Manhattan. And as 1967 progresses, he's attending all these funerals for Inwood natives, uh, kids from the neighborhood that died in Vietnam. And he's watching the anti-war protests. And it's really bringing him down, of course. And the news about the swelling conflict. And he's at his local bar, speaking to the bartender. His name was Georgie Lynch. 
And Georgie Lynch mentioned to Chickie that what the troops out there in Vietnam really need more than anything else is just a pat on the back and a cold beer. And Chickie agreed. And, and he's had a few drinks, so he starts talking big and says he's just the guy to do it too. He's just the guy to go to Vietnam with a bunch of beer and pass them out to the guys. And maybe he said it offhandedly, but Georgie believed him. The bartender believed him. So Georgie the next day goes around the neighborhood to all the to the moms and gets the names of their sons out in the field in Vietnam and brings Chicky the list and says, here's where all the, the guys from Inwood are. And Chicky, true to his word, he was just talking big, but he followed up. He went and signed up as a merchant seaman on a ship taking supplies and ammunition to Vietnam the next day. Nice. He packed a single bag and all the beer he could talk them into letting him bring on board. And he headed off to Vietnam. That trip took two months. And and I don't think anybody on our podcast is surprised by this. Chicky drank all the beer he brought along for the troops. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> a long trip. It is a long trip. Oops. <laughs> you guys saw that coming? Yeah. Sounds like a Coast Guardsman. Uh, I did not see that coming. Okay. Well, no worries. He arrives in Queen Anne Harbor, Vietnam, two months later, and he's got his list of guys from the neighborhood, right? And and he's looking at the list and he's wondering, how am I going to find these guys? I got to back to Vietnam, but how am I really going to find these guys? The first guy he runs into, Tommy Collins, just magic. He's not even off the ship. The ship has just pulled into the harbor. It docks. The MPs come on board to check things out. And Tommy Collins looks over and says, is that Chicky Donahue? (laughs) 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 Collins remembers it like this, quote, I said, Chicky Donahue, what the hell are you doing here? And (laughs) Donahue responded, I brought you a beer. Nice. That's awesome. <laughs> but of course, Chicky had drank all the beer, so no worries. They, they, the two of them went out. They bought a bunch more beer. Chicky showed him the list, and they were on there. Or he was on his way to delivering beers to buddies out in the field, and he journeyed all throughout Vietnam, bringing beers to old friends, fighting the war. The number of people he randomly ran into that were on his list, guys from the neighborhood, just on the road, car broke down, and some pulled up, see if he needs help, and there's a. It's incredible. Now, how weird would that have been if you're out there in the field in Vietnam and here comes Chicky on a motorcycle with some beer on the back? <laughs> you think he's a he's an angel? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Up on the motorcycle, all the way up to the DMZ, crosses all of Vietnam through these crazy adventures and dangers, deliver beers to the Inwood boys on his list. His pal Bob Pappas, he was a communications NCO in Long Bean at the time, said. Quote, seeing Chick gave me a lot of encouragement that I was going to make it back. Pappas had been demoralized because he had heard about some of his longtime Inwood friends dying in battles. And Chicky delivering those pats on the back and beers, he says what he was really delivering to us was hope. Well, that, that certainly is true. Nice. So several months in Vietnam delivering beers. Donahue returns home to Manhattan, Inwood. Nobody believes his story. Apparently he's a talker. Actually, I know he's a talker because I've watched a documentary on him. <laughs> okay. And he's telling everybody what he did. I ran into so-and-so. I ran so I delivered him a beer. And they're like, sure you did. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, for decades, his friends and neighbors and fellow Sandhogs told him he was full of crap. I changed a word on that for the podcast. Uh, when the Inwood vets started coming home, you know, and started telling the story, no, Chicky came out. He delivered beers. They thought they were all in on the gag. 
So they still didn't believe him, even when the guys were coming back home and saying, no, Chicky came out to. So uh, their doubting was silenced in 2017. When a book about his trip was released, The Greatest Beer Run Ever, A True Story of Friendship Stronger Than War. And at the book signing, Chickie was joined by many of the men that he delivered beers to during the war. So he finally got his I told you so moment. But he does admit that once the guys started coming home, he didn't have to buy a beer for a long time in Inwood. (laughs) They would take care of. Awesome. All the elements of a great beer drinking story, right? That's good. Friendship, heroism, free beer. That, my friends, is the story of American hero John Chicky Donahue and the greatest beer run ever. Cheers to Chicky. Yeah, right? That's yeah, a great story. And Paps Blue Ribbon helped immortalize uh, the story in a short documentary you can find on YouTube. I will uh, tweet that out once we release this episode, and I'll do that. Uh, and the book has been re-released because it's been out of print for a couple of years, but it looks like they just re-released the book. And I threw in some pictures on the uh, on our notes here of old Chicky, because if you get a look at him, once you see him, you're kind of like, yeah, that's what I thought Chicky would look like. (laughs) Makes sense. Makes sense. There's a picture of him delivering beers to the guys. And then there's a picture of him now, today, hanging out with his pals. So there you have it. The story of Chicky Donahue. Great story. Chicky. Well done, Chicky. It's a good story. Good story, Jeff. Yeah. Thanks to Chicky for it. But check out that video on YouTube. It's really well done. And then, then of course, there's these tough guys. You know, they're old men now, but they're, they're, they still got their tough guy New York accents telling the story, <laughs> ribbing each other the whole way through. Of course. <laughs> like, you came all the way to Vietnam to deliver me a beer. I can still rib you in the bar. I, I still have <laughs> rights to mock you and, and poke fun at you. <laughs> Great guys. Good stuff. Doc, you got something for Veterans Day for us, don't you? Oh, Yeah. Welcome to Vet Beer or Not a Vet Beer, the hoppiest game show in podcast land. I'm your host, Dr. Todd. For John and all those other beer or not a beer first timers, here's how this game works. John, you paying attention? I'm here. I'm, I'm right with you. All right, here we go. So, John, I'm going to name four beers. All right. Three are real beers and one is not real. This one I thought of not a real beer, while I was trimming my dog. You know, Kobe, he's got long hair. So, you know, I was trimming around his butt because, you know, if you don't trim around there, you know, they get those really big, crusty dingleberries. Dingleberry, yeah, that's yeah, the problem. And then, and then the worst part is they do that butt scooch across yeah. your carpet. That's the worst. So tonight's vet beers are all about vets, as in veterinarians. All right, here we go. <laughs> all right, we're ready. Right, here we go, here we go. The first one is, Meowza. That's Meowza if you don't speak cat. Meowza. It's a Belgian. Beer number two. John, you paying attention? Yep. Okay, first one's Meowza. Next, transfusion IPA positive. These are all veterinarian inspired. Uh-huh. Beer number three is peanut butter liquor porter. Because <laughs> dogs, you know, dogs, <laughs> they like peanut butter. And on that same note, because they can, the fourth beer is ball liquor <laughs> it's a it's a lambic all right so once again audience we have four beers we have meowza we have transfusion ipa positive actually it should be ipa positive there you go uh we have peanut butter liquor porter and we have ball liquor 
alambic. <laughs> so which is not John, your job right now is to tell me which of those is not a real beer. Which one did I think of while I was trimming my dog's long hair? Dingleberries. Oh. Which one is not a real beer, John? I got to believe that it's the obvious is not the one. <laughs> to me, I can't see anybody naming a beer uh, transfusion. What was that? Transfusion IPA positive. I don't think that's a beer. Okay, so John says transfusion IPA positive. All right. Sound guy? I love this name, and I'm going to go with it. Peanut butter liquor porter. Peanut butter liquor porter. All right. And let's go with talent. Well, I'm just going to be different because, again, I'm going to go with the one I would never drink, and that's ball liquor. (laughs) Ball liquor. I would never drink that. So we picked three out of four already. So I feel like I should go with number one just so that one of us gets it right. There's always a winner. But but I'm not. I'm going with ball liquor. That's not a beer. Ball liquor. All right. So none of you chose Miauza, which is a Belgian. It's from Jester King Brewery in Austin, Texas. Yeah, there you go. There you go. All right. And Transfusion IPA Positive is actually a beer by Doctor's Orders Brewing ah, in Australia. There you go. Oh, my God. Did you give that order? Yeah. <laughs> and the other beer that is not a beer is – that is really a beer. Sorry. The other beer is Ball Liquor. Oh, it, good job, It Tom. actually is a Lambic – check this. Bang Hounds Ale Works. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> In Rockville, Maryland. Rockville. All right. Maryland. So the beer I made up, yes, Tom, is peanut butter liquor porter. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> Sounded like something you would say. <laughs> I thought you'd choose ball liquor. <laughs> Great job, Doc. All right. This has been another edition of Vet Beer or Not a Vet Beer. Join us next time for who knows what action we'll have. Thank you to our special guest, John Manley, United States Coast Guard. Yo, I'm aboard. Great having you aboard. Thanks for being on, John. Semper Baratus. <laughs> I'm always ready. You didn't fall overboard, huh? And thank you, listeners, for spending the hour with us. Once again, we salute and applaud our U.S. veterans and the men and women in uniform and their families taking care of us. Until next time, cheers, because right now, we got to run. <laughs>